Chapter 1, Wayfair welcomes you to the Waberhood. Our hero, Titus Burgess, ambled down the stylish street of an enchanting utopia. A woman waved from a chic lounger. Welcome to the Waberhood, she said, where Wayfair helps everyone create a home they love. Titus stared in awe. Bohemian Boulevard, Trinsetter Terrace, Mid-Century Circle. Titus, hmm? you're reading the Wayfair catalog. Oh, you'll love Chapter 2. Wayfair's fast and free shipping saves a potluck. Wayfair, every style, every home. If scary movies give you dread, keep you up late night in bed, here's a podcast that will help you ease your mind. We'll explain the plot real nicely, then we'll talk about what's frightening so you never have to have a spooky time. It's ruined. Oh, hello. Welcome to Ruined. I'm Hallie. And I'm Allison. And this is a, a podcast where you're going to ruin a horror movie just for you. Just um, for you. Allison, um, has anything horrifying happened to you this week you'd like to, to share with me? I will say, I woke up this morning having slept on my neck weird, and there is really we're, nothing we're worse. We're at that age. We're at I know. that age. You know what I'm just mean? at that age where my neck, like, sleep is now a dangerous activity. Girl. Like, honestly, it's fine. I don't have neck problems. I have all lower back problems. But, like, it's one of those things where it's, like, there's nothing you can do. Like, you're just kind yeah. of, like, tra- and, like, it's, it's like, legitimately, like, almost, like, totally fine now by, like, 2 p.m. But, like, boy, you wake up and you're, like, did I fight someone in my <laughs> right. sleep? Like, like what happened here? absolutely kicked all night. Um, I'm so sorry. I, I, I have the exact same thing. I wore heels to um, oh my God. friend of the pod, Naomi Ekparagin, who yes. did our Megan live show. Yes. Her wedding to her um, Jubu, uh, Andy Beckerman, a beautiful wedding. I don't normally wear heels, so I uh, wore heels on a special occasion. Mm-hmm. I want to say for about a week great. afterwards. Thank you. I appreciate that. Um, I tried to turn a look, which I don't, as you can see from the video, I, I, mean, I need to leak. I need to at least shower before we record because every time I'm like shocked by how to shower, but of course I do. But I just did, and my hair is wet, and I look like a rat you that was great. like pulled out no, of a sewer. No, you don't. No, you don't. <laughs> and those are cute. I love rats. So I know. We, um, know, we know you love rats. Um, but but interestingly, yeah, like I, I wore the heels. I'm gonna say for about five days after the front of my thighs were burning. Yeah, because it's like, oh right, I never wear heels and I'm in horrible shape. Yeah. So um, those muscles you know, don't get used in the same way. Yeah, and so I'm trying to, like, figure out, even just stretching, even just, you know, like, just a physical movement. I also audibly hear my spine more often. Like, mm, mm, I am yeah, constantly I hear hearing a, a pop. Oh, yeah, obviously. You, I mean, you was just, like, like a power drill, I imagine. Yeah, just yeah like, it sounds like metal gears kind of slowly cranking along. <laughs> and that's fucking hardcore. That's what one of the things yeah. I like about you. Um, but I definitely feel you, and I, that, yeah, the horrors of aging, man. I, it's terrible. Every damn day. Terrible. What about what about you? You got any horrific uh, events of the week that you are dying to share? <laughs> well, this is a little uh, a very minor one, but mm. so it's been extre- it was extremely rainy in LA, um, yes. as you've heard ever- everyone complain about for weeks or months on end at this point. And I made the mistake on one sunny day of bringing out some of my plants into the sunshine because my apartment <clears> doesn't get a ton of natural light. Allison, it was it immediately as soon as I left turned cold, and then rained Ugh. cold water. So now I am desperately trying to, like, most of them seem okay. Mm-hmm. They just look bad. Yeah. But then one of them, and this is the plant I've had for at least a year, I I genuinely, it's holding on, but let me show you what it looks like because all the leaves came off. Look at it. Oh, it's it so used to sad. Be- for those of you that are not watching on video, oh, um, sorry. You, should watch yes. on, you should watch on video so you can see that we both kind of 
uh, didn't serve today. But um, <laughs> this plant is, uh, it's mostly sticks. Yeah, it's it's <laughs> it's largely sticks. And I, I think it will survive because most of it's still green. Yeah. But I just feel bummed out. I also feel like a bad plant mother. And it's yeah. like, how can I own a rat, Allison? How can I, I keep know. a rat alive if, if I you can't, can't keep, keep plants alive? If you can't keep a plant alive, you can't keep... Though, honestly, like, I found that Riz is easier to care for than some of my plants. So, Riz the I cat. Feel like yeah, I feel like cats are easier to care for than virtually anything. So yeah. he's just kind of like here, and that's um, fine. And I'm glad that um, I'm glad that both these things are like we're, we'll survive this. I feel yeah, like. yeah, yeah. These aren't these aren't the worst horrors, but they certainly are um, inconveniences to say the, the minor least. horrors of life. Yes, the minor horrors of life. Oh boy! So we are continuing a <laughs> political horror movie uh, month, and boy, yes. we got one for you this week. This is an off-requested um, yeah. movie. I had not seen it. I'd obviously heard about it. I feel like if oh, anyone listens to it. no, I hadn't seen it. And if anyone listens to um, the last podcast on the left, uh, I don't know if they still anymore, but they were. Co- they, this is a movie they would constantly reference as a Jacob, Jacob's Ladder moment. And mm. if you've seen Jacob Slider, you know what uh, what they're referring to. But if you don't, well, you're about to find out um, about it right now. Oh and this oh came boy. out. Um, this is a movie from uh, 1990. Um, there apparently was a remake. We're not doing that one. So do not look up the trailer for, for the 2019 one. Directed by Adrian Lin and written by Bruce Joel Rubin. And Bruce Joel Rubin also wrote Ghost, and he got mm. the Oscar for Best Original Screenplay. He is, you know, this is something that he wrote and sort of was his passion project that took him a long time to get made. Um, and I thought it was interesting. Uh, Jacob's Ladder is a uh, biblical reference um, from Genesis, the ladder between heaven and earth and sort of oh. God and the angels, how they sort of pass from one realm to the other. And... Um, it was this the alternate title of the movie is Dante's Inferno, and that is sort of like the concept of it of you know tra- transitioning from one stage of life to the other, which I think is depending on whether or not you're religious is terrifying, mm-hmm. or you're like all oh, right, okay, but um, not for the, Jews. <laughs> yeah, I just feel like you guys. We're pretty I'm pretty sure about that stuff. Yeah, and you guys have your own stuff, obviously. Yeah. Oh, but plenty of stuff. <laughs> not quite so. There's not so much idea of hell. You know what I mean? There's not, yeah. like, the idea of being trapped in hell. Like, and that seems great. I mean, as someone who, I have a little Catholic church inside my heart. Mm-hmm. It's nice, and I imagine it's nice not to have to worry about hell on any level. It is nice to not be worried about it so much. Um, and then the screenwriter, he he at one point said that this was um, a his interpretation of the liberation through hearing during the intermediate state um, which is the Tibetan Book of the Dead. So this is sort of the rumination okay. on life and the afterlife. Yes. Um, and we'll discuss how we feel about that interpretation at the end of it. Um, okay. But this is a an off-requested movie, and of yes. course we'd like to have Allison watch the trailer for the film before we ruin it. <sighs> Allison, would you like to give me your feedback on the trailer to Jacob's Ladder? I did not like watching this. Yeah, and it's a tough one. It really, like, there are some movies where we watch, I watch the trailer and I'm like, I could probably make it through this. Like, this looks kind of like a fun thing where I'll close my eyes once or twice. This is not that. This is, when when that no-eye lady hits the screen, I mean, yeah, that's a tough moment. Yeah, it is, um, it's a body horror movie if I've ever seen one. Yeah, and- which is like not what I would expect given kind of the 
the summary, like what, you know, what we know about the movie at this stage, like, you know, before I watched, I was like, oh, it's a political horror movie. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, like, or, or it can be at least like attributed to like being in the political horror sphere. So it's like, oh, that's not what I was, I was not ready for the yeah. uh, images that were uh, forced upon me in this trailer. Yeah, it's a, it's a horrifying one. I agree there, but there is this thing where it's like, yeah, unfortunately, this is a movie about America's involvement in Vietnam and, mm. Boy, if you got America involved in the movie, the body itself is political, you know? Yeah. So it's oh, like those incredibly. horrific body images are part of it. Um, we always like to take a baseline scary. Mm-hmm. Um, Allison, how scary do you find the concept of the space between life and death? Well, I don't care for it. Mm-hmm. Um uh, as someone who has almost died once, um, which was kind of enough for me. Um, Damn, did and, you see anything? Did you tra- traverse up a ladder? No, I was did you so see drugged, God? Or I was oh, so okay, drugged great. out of my mind. Um, That's what I'm uh, in a for. hospital. I know it's just like I want to be uh, as like drugged up as possible for whatever transitions I'm going to have to make um, from living to dead. Yeah, I remember my mother once telling me she's like, we you know in Switzerland they they give you heroin when you're dying. Great. And I was like, okay, I will give you heroin while you're dying if I'm yeah. able to access it. Yeah, it seems hard to get um, and for good reason, but. Sure, but I also think in America, they're just going to make you like bite down on a towel. Yeah. <laughs> you're going to have to like wait in your car or something. Yeah, to die. you're going to have to like watch Fox News while you die or something <laughs> horrible. Um, make yeah. it worse somehow. Yeah, I mean, I think that's a scary. The in between, the in between yes. of anything is like such a scary, like uncertainty and instability are, you know, two of the worst feelings that like you can feel as a human. And for it to be the greatest transition from life to death that, uh, I don't like it. <laughs> yeah. Cause it's like being dead seems fine. Like then you're dead. There's only you Once you're dead, it. you're dead. Being Whatever alive, look, we're all trying, but we yeah, have once, once you start to make the move, all, all bets are off, Allison. Yeah. Allison, would you like to guess the twist in Jacob's Ladder? Guess the twist. Um, I'm going to guess that maybe, like, uh, life and death are reversed, and what he thinks Ooh, is uh, okay. life is actually uh, death or afterlife, and what he thinks is death is actually, like, the life he's living. Hell yeah. Great. Scary. Excellent guess. Let us begin ruining Jacob's Ladder. So we open on, of course, the Vietnam War, already bad, already a deep American shame. And we see a bunch of young infantrymen. There's new soldiers getting out of helicopters. And we are told that they're in the Mekong Delta on October 6, 1971. Okay. And we catch up with our uh, different soldiers. We see Doug, Paul, and George. George is played by young Ving Rhames. Just love to see him in everything. It's just great. And he's... He's yeah, incredibly talented, and he's joined. They're joined by their the protagonist Jacob, referred to as Jake, played by Tim Robbins, and they're all joking around again. The camaraderie of young men. They're passing around a joint. They're teasing him like, "Now were you shitting or were you jerking off again?" And they're all teasing him, having as best of a time as you could be after you were drafted in the Vietnam War. Yes. Allison, unfortunately, somebody screams. There's movement on the tree line. Okay. And everyone has to leap into action. And we see that they're eating lunch. So they're like sort of had this moment where they're eating and they have to leap into action. But as they do, they all start to experience this incredible pain. So we see Doug grab his head and scream and fall to the ground. George Oof. starts seizing and gagging. He's like gagging up foam and blood. Oh, God. 
And then Jacob's screaming, but then as far as they could tell, the Viet Cong is on them and it's a firefight. It's just mayhem. It's awful. Yeah. It's like every depiction war. of the Vietnam War. Yeah. Where it's like, how did we think that this was not going to be anything but a fucking nightmare for yeah. everyone involved? I, I don't know. I have to say, my like, familiarity with like just the history of the Vietnam War is very spotty, but politically I'm a little more cued in. But like, yeah, it's just like, of course. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And that's, I mean, there, there's so many different aspects of it as people who were born after it and yes. like are the generation where the only thing that was communicated to us was that this is a deep shame. And, you know, I think this movie is, you know, it's, it's 1990. So this is trying to get in, really okay. get into the details of what was going on. And in this case, this is what was going on to our own soldiers, basically. They're the Army's treatment of them. Mm-hmm. Um, so everyone, it's it's a total shit show. Everyone's running around. We see a, one of their fellow soldiers, his leg gets shredded by bullets. A helicopter fires at, like, a nearby shed. Everyone is thrown to the dirt. Clearly, this is not, like, it's just, it just mayhem, right? Yeah. Unfortunately, we see Jacob run into the jungle, and he's he's paranoid. He doesn't know where to turn. Oy. We see a bayonet blade appear out of the leaves and jam into his rib cage. Oh, Allison, he wakes up on the New York subway four years later, and he's okay. reading Camus' *The Stranger*. So again, a lot of a lot of different um, literary Easter eggs in this movie. Yes, and I love uh, a bunch of references. I love a bunch of like. If you know, you know, little, like, nods to different things. Yeah. Um, And so he wakes up. He walks between cars because he fell asleep. He's trying to ask a woman in the next car if they pass Bergen. He's on the G train, obviously. Right in my my neck of the woods. Yeah. And uh, she doesn't reply. She just stares at him. Very New York. That's what I call New York hello, Allison. Mm -hmm. Just a blank stare. (laughs) And he's like, oh, okay, you know, I'll just sit down. And as they pull into the station— and Jacob stands to leave. He sees a sleeping man lying on the bench um, in the subway car. And from under his coat comes a, what I would describe as a octopus tentacle. Okay. That sort of See, rides near no. his feet. And as you can imagine, Jacob does the only thing you're supposed to do, which is he just steps off the train. Yeah, that's the correct move. There is no way to handle that except, ah, nope. okay, just this is off. my stop. Yeah, you can walk. I'm- you're close. Unfortunately, um, he tries to leave and he finds that one of the exits is barricaded, which again is confusing to him, but also uh, it seems like New York. Like they just closed off an exit yeah. and they didn't tell anyone there's no sign. Nope. That seems plausible. Oh, all the time. Allison, then he does the thing that you're never supposed to do. Oh, no. It's like I could walk around or I could just jump down on the tracks and walk over to the next platform. No, the other you platform. don't get on the tracks. I, you were never, ever, ever supposed to get on the tracks. And you always have seen people do it, and you yeah. know it's this horrifying moment as a New Yorker mm-hmm. for two reasons. One, the third rail. The fact that that exists is horrifying. Yes. And then two, of course, Allison, as Susie fucking gets down there, as Susie starts to walk across, there is a subway yeah. train barreling down on him. Yeah, we're not even addressing how absolutely disgusting uh, the train tracks are. It's like brown standing water and rats and yeah. roaches. That's all yeah. that's down there, and garbage. And we do see a sweet little rat running around in the water, and he's tramping around in the filthy water. Your best friend. Um, the train is on top of him, and he freezes, of course, as you would, and then luckily at the last minute dives out of the way. Okay. And as he turns to see the train pass, he sees every window frames a faceless person. So it's a person, like I would describe, as sort of has a white, translucent yeah. mask over their face. Yeah. 
And as he watches it go past, he turns and he sees a faceless conductor and the conductor sort of reaches up their hand and waves. No. And I know this is early, but Allison, if you saw that, what would you do? What would you do? Oh boy. I mean, I'm getting myself up out of the train tracks and going directly to a hospital. Um, yeah, I think myself somewhere and being like, I don't know if this is real or not real, but I need to be not out in the world right now because it's too scary. And I feel like I would at least run it immediately tell someone else. This is something I would not be able to keep to myself. Um, no, but like, imagine if somebody like ran up to you, like in the subway, like on a platform or like up above ground, like on the street in New York and was like, no one has a face anymore. I'd be like, don't. Talk to me. You'd say, only in New York, in baby. New York. Who doesn't love a classic chocolate chip cookie? Famous Amos has been making them since the 70s, 1975 to be exact. With semi-sweet chocolate chips and a satisfying crunch, it's everything classic in one bite-sized cookie. And fans couldn't get enough. That's right. You'll find our original recipe, the one you know and love, in every bag of Famous Amos original chocolate chip cookies. Find Famous Amos anywhere you buy your favorite snacks. Pot Save America is brought to you by Helix. If you're looking for better sleep, you need to upgrade your mattress with Helix. The Helix lineup offers 20 unique mattresses, including the award-winning Lux Collection, the newly released and high-end Helix Elite Collection, Hmm. a mattress designed for big and tall sleepers, and even a mattress made just for kids, which Charlie has. Charlie has a Helix mattress now. Just for kids in his uh, race car bed. Very nice. excited. Very happy about it. Take the Helix Sleep Quiz and find your perfect mattress in under two minutes, and uh, it ships straight to your door free of charge. They even offer a 100-night trial and a 10- to 15-year warranty to try out your new Helix mattress. If you're a side sleeper, you can choose a model with memory foam layers to provide optimal pressure relief. There are also models with more responsive foam to cradle your body for essential support in stomach and back sleeping positions. Plus, check out enhanced cooling features to keep you from overheating while you sleep. It's no wonder Helix has over 12,000 five-star reviews. And you, you've loved your Helix mattress. I love it. I got a Don Lux. There you go. There it's you go. great. Helix is offering 20% off all mattress orders and two free pillows for our listeners. Go to helixsleep.com slash crooked. That's helixsleep.com slash crooked. This is their best offer yet, and it won't last long. With Helix, better sleep starts now. He's very distressed. At the same time, what we're going to find out is he, of course, is asking him the question, to himself the question, is this real or do I have PTSD because I was in the fucking Vietnam War four yeah. years ago? Hmm, what seems more likely? Which is completely reasonable. Exactly. Yeah. So he's already put in the position of like, I can't fucking tell anybody that because they'll know that that like that, that I'm having a crack up, right? Yes. So Jake gets home. He's greeted by his girlfriend, Jezebel. Again, a biblical name who uh, he calls Jesse and their dog Chester, who's very cute. Aww. She's like, why are you home in the middle of the night? And why are you filthy? He's like, oh, Ned didn't show up and I had to do his rounds. We find out that Jake is a um, postal worker. It's okay. like, uh, my coworker didn't come, so I had to do his shift. And also I fell in a bunch of filthy water in the subway. And again, you have this moment with them where he gets in the shower. So she undresses and gets in. And they're like laughing and kissing. So you know things are going to go horrible. When every, yeah. At the beginning of a horror movie, you see a glimmer of happiness. It's you know over. it's about to be stripped away from them in the worst way possible. And in this way, which is, we then flash back to Vietnam, and we see Jake lying in the dark. He's just been stabbed, as we saw with the bayonet. And he right. hears voices in the background, and he's trying to call to them, but he can't yell. So he's whispering, help me. Mm-hmm. Allison, he wakes up again. He's in bed. It's 1975 again. 
this is something where okay. you've, this is somebody you knew, you'd be like, you have PTSD, you know? Yeah, very, feels very clear. And mean, but I will say this is, again, the 70s, so there's not really a lot of mental health, or supposed to be no, the 70s, no. so there's no real mental health conversation. Right. So Jesse uh, did, I think, what probably you were supposed to do as a woman when this kind of thing happened, which is uh, say nothing. Yes. When your boyfriend wakes up screaming. And then she says, oh, your kid dropped this off. And she throws him a paper bag. So we find out that Jake has a uh, two sons, Jed and Eli, and an ex-wife named Sarah. I don't know why this shocked me that they introduced it like this. But I, I feel like now they, they explain everything about his life. But right. I, I appreciate that we established this was his life and that he has, you know, children and yes. his ex-wife, you know. And... Uh, Jesse couldn't remember the name of which kid dropped it off. And he says, why can you never remember my son's names? And she says, they're weird names. That to me is unacceptable. No, that's not, no. I, no. You know, I say also, someone, weird names are way easier to remember. Yeah, and she has like some clear hostility about like his other family, which again, I, I hope that we're sort of getting past as a society, like, yeah, you can't resent his children. It's not their fault that like his right. their parents got divorced, you know? And also, I just think if you're a girlfriend in a horror movie where you're obviously probably going to be killed, you have to learn the names of the kids. You gotta know the names of the kids. You You gotta look like you're trying. Exactly. And so they kind of have a, uh, like a little, they banter back and forth. And the actress who plays Jesse has a, uh, uh, Elizabeth Pena, who's great in this. She has a big scar on one of her breasts. And I'll tell you, it's nice to see someone with a scar in a movie. They're not letting scarred up people in movies anymore. No, they are not. No, they are not. Everybody yeah, looks airbrushed walking around. So oh yeah, you can't even have gray crumbling teeth or or metal spikes anymore in the film. No. That's what the seven <laughs> that's what the early the seventies through the nineties, you can get away with it. Now you gotta be not scarred up, which is yeah. a huge expectation for people. Can't do it. Allison, he goes through the paper bag of photos and it's full of photos his ex-wife was going to toss, which is also insane because they're all family photos. Like, why would you just toss just put them in a drawer? Right. Put them in a box, put them in storage. Like, like just throwing them away feels very final. (laughs) He finds a photo, and it's of his third child, Gabe, who died in an accident before he ever went to Vietnam. And he says to the photo, hello, baby. And we see it, and it's a young Macaulay Culkin who is the cutest little kid. Oh, he is the cutest little kid. That's why he was a star. I mean, I would say, like, we conscripted him into, that was his Vietnam, as being forced to be a child actor. Child star. Truly, and he is so cute. And of course, Jake sees us. He breaks down sobbing. And Jesse asks, What's wrong? And it's like, Girl, his kid died. He saw a picture of his child who died. He's very going to be upset about that. Allison, she flips out and basically like, I don't like to see you cry. She takes the photos and throws them down the garbage chute in the hallway and they slide into the incinerator. <laughs> okay. Like, again, I was like, The 70s was a mayhem. Of course. I feel like just imagine being a soldier coming back from Vietnam War, which we all understood even then was unjust. Right. And then this, there's no, there, the emotional maturity that I think anyone has tried to get since that I really appreciate. Oh, you're seeing your dead son makes you upset. Burn every photo of him. Yeah. And so the only photo he is able to get out of the bag is the little one of Gabe. And so she burns all the rest of the photos. Don't bottle up your emotions. And definitely don't burn your boyfriend's photos of his family. Please. Take a breath. (laughs) <laughs> Truly. So we see uh, Jake head into work. We realize that both Jesse and Jake work at the post office. So Jesse's like an office worker and Jake does the rounds. And he tells her, he, he brings her lunch and then he tells her, I'm going to head out because my back is killing me. 
And she's like, oh, your, my boss is going to kill you for taking off more time. But he said, it's really important. I just have a lot of pain. And he heads over to his chiropractor, Lewis, who's played by Danny Aiello. Oh, that's and, fun. Yeah, and he's a great cameo. And he's sort of this, like, positive paternal figure mm-hmm. um, in uh, almost an angelic figure, if you will, in Jacob's life. I will. And he also treats Jake's ex-wife, Sarah. So it's sort of like, this is how Sarah and Jake still keep in touch is through their chiropractor. Again, terrifically 70s. Love that. Um, And so they're chatting and Lewis, he's like, oh, how's Sarah? And Lewis says, I think she still loves you, which seems inappropriate for your chiropractor to say. (laughs) That's psycho. Imagine. Imagine that happening to you. Yeah, and basically we find out that the reason they split up is Jake studied philosophy for six years, got his PhD, and then didn't want to do it anymore and worked for the post office, and Sarah threw him out. And Jake says, I just didn't want to think anymore. I think, and I could be wrong, I think you're making a better living at the post office than you are being a, maybe a philosophy professor, but how do people get to be a professor? I mean, and even then, like, you're t- it's years before you're even, like, getting, te- like, if you can yeah. even get tenured and you probably have to, like, be in some random-ass town at a smaller school, because like, you can't just be like, I have a PhD, can I go be at Harvard? Like, it takes years to do, like, I think that, like, um... A, a civil service job is is a way better living and more yeah. stable and more benefits. And, and they do, yeah, they treat being a philosophy pr- professor like being a king. Like you would just have unlimited money. It's like, I think if you have a wife and three children, like that is, you're like, you hope you get like a, a, a professor, professorial job, you know, otherwise yeah. you're just, yeah. What like else a do you do professor. with a PhD in philosophy? Um, but you know, basically what we're to understand is like Jake went away, had this experience in the Vietnam war and said, I basically wanted to have a totally different life and couldn't handle the adjustment back to understandable his life. Yeah. I mean, again, a lot of trauma and it, uh, Lewis does an adjustment, which also seems really dangerous. I, again, I've never been to a oh, chiropractor, but, um, d- like I understand that some people go and whatever, if it makes you feel better. Um, if you go to a chiropractor, don't do neck stuff. That like is the stuff that is the most like objectively dangerous. People That's have arteries and veins like- torn. Um, yeah. Lower back is a little safer. Like I don't think it's as is likely that you'll have like a fatal uh, consequence or complication. But don't do neck stuff at the chiropractor. Yeah, that's and that's definitely uh, sort of what I took from this. Lewis adjusts Jake's neck, snaps it, and then like to the side, and then Jake has a vision of being found by soldiers. So he's constantly having these um, flashbacks to war. And while Jake's look, he looks up at Lewis and he sees Lewis has like the the overhead light shining behind him like an angel. And he sort of jokes that Lewis is an overgrown cherub and they kind of have like a nice positive moment. And there are a lot of fun New York moments. Like Jake is walking home and there are like a group of teenage girls who sing um, like, wait a minute, Mr. Postman as he walks by, which is really cute. Mm. Unfortunately, Allison, he then turns into an alley and a car swerves to try to hit him. And when he dives out of the way, as it passes, we see everyone in the car again has the same faceless, um, monstrous blank faces as we saw Horrifying. on the tra- subway train. Horrifying. Luckily, Jake has is knows enough. He's like, I have to go talk to someone about this. I have to, I can see where this is headed. And he goes to see Dr. Carlson. Okay, who, like, this is the first time I feel like we've really like seen someone in one of these movies be like, you know what? I can't do this on my own and, like, actually go talk to yes. someone. Absolutely. We're used to someone, it basically it's a third act before they're like, wait a minute, is the homicidal doll I made committing the murders? 
Jake is saying, like, I know what I'm seeing is not normal. You know, it's not normal. So what can I do to get treatment? He goes to see Dr. Carlson at the VA. um, And only to be told there is no Dr. Carlson. And there never has been. Oh, no. Jake says, I've been here a million times. I was part of the Veterans Outpatient Program. I Could you look at my file and see his name on there? The receptionist looks up his file. The file's not there at all. So he almost tells her, like, I'm seeing creatures or entities, but she does, but then she says, well, there's an emergency, there's psychiatric um, social workers, but the wait's an hour. And so he gets really frustrated and he slams his fist on the counter and he knocks over a vase. When the receptionist bends down, she has like one of those little nurse's hats. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She bends down and it falls off her head and it looks like there's a giant um, bone no or fang jutting out of the top of her skull. No, no, no. Jake Jake makes the executive decision that he's going to just try to make it to Dr. Carlson's office, so he books it down the hallway. Yeah, I'd be as far away from uh, Fang's skull as I could possibly get. <laughs> yeah, and he turns and he he makes it down there. Unfortunately, it's not an office; it's a group therapy space. So that everyone in group therapy turns and stares at him when he busts in. And the group leader takes him out in the hallway and says, I'm really sorry. Actually, Dr. Carlson died about a month ago. It was a car accident. How did it happen? No one really knows. They say it blew up. Blew up? What do you mean, blew up? I really don't know. Um, that's not an accident. That's not an accident. And to say that that was an accident... It implies so much about your misunderstanding of what a car accident is. Yes, yes, yes. An accident, like, that's just not the definition of a car accident at all. I I, I, I mean, maybe cars have accidentally blown up. I guess Tesla is the— Well, yeah, you know, I guess those like, are hey, I guess anything's possible is what we're learning. Um, but that night, he just like, I'm going to at least tell my girlfriend. He says, tries to tell Jesse about the, the barricaded subway station, about seeing these faceless people. He tells her, like, it feels like when I see them, they're like demons— I, there's these creatures. Jesse, of course, again, committed to ignoring all these horrible red flags, says, you know, a lot of stations are closed right now, and New York is full of creatures. Girl, you got to listen to what he's saying, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, sometime later, they're at a big house party, and it's fucking popping. Like, and people are, like, drunk, making out, dancing. It looks great. And a drunk woman who really reminds me of Catherine Cohen in a really oh, positive fun. way— Goes to Florida and she goes, I live near here and I'm very lonely. And I just like that <laughs> I line like, felt like her. Coat. Yeah. Um, and so Jake's having a good time. Uh, he goes to the fridge and there's a full uh, lamb's head in there. And he sort of uh, reacts to it. And like, then he, like, um, someone's going to cook it later. I guess it's going to be a goat's head. Okay. But it's not like, like, just like it's been decapitated and now it's in the fridge. Like, it's been. Yeah, it is. She is like. Drained and, and yes, it's been prepared. It's been okay. dressed. Okay. Yes. So, but again, something you'd be shocking to see, but not if you're someone who eats lamb's heads. Like I think, like clearly, the person was buying it for, for their purposes. But it looks like it's prepared to cook. It's not like yes. I found this. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It's not just a loose, um, a loose, loose head. head. Yeah. Um. Absolutely. And he runs into Elsa, um, one of the other party goers, played by the wonderful um S. Apatha Murkison, who's in everything. And they flirt, and, you know, again, like, everyone in this has great chemistry. Mm-hmm. So even though you know he's there with somebody else, you know, they're flirting, and she says, let me read your poem. And she's looking at his heart line, and she points his lifeline so and 70s. says, 
and twenty-twenties. Oh, exactly. Like this is how you flirted in the seventies. We, and but yeah, like, we've, we've cycled. We've back kind of come all the way around to like kind of the you know reading people's star signs and and tarot cards and stuff is like very much a way that people flirt. So absolutely, the 70s I, are back. And I will say, like after coming out, um, I then was asked about my astrological si- like information about it that I didn't have so much in a way that I. I guess I'd heard that as a cliche, but also I didn't know it. So that I had to, you're supposed to like get an app I and, just know and my sort like of educate yourself. Sign. I know I'm, I'm a Capricorn. That's what I know. Um, I don't know. And like, you're such a Capricorn. I'm always the, saying that. I mean, it's true. I am. Um, so she, Elsa examines his hand and says, oh, you know, according to your lifeline, you're already dead. This, as you can imagine, really freaks Jake out. And he kind of yeah. staggers downstairs and he wanders to the party. And everyone's just, again, super drunk, laughing, helicoptering their shirts over their heads, as I want to do. And uh, <laughs> Jake sees, like, a man in the distance staring at him. And by distance, I mean, like, across the apartment. Okay. And suddenly the lamb's head, he sees the, an image of the lamb's head snapping at him. Mm-hmm. And, he again, he feels like he's sort of going into a hallucination. He looks up and sees a shirtless man in a black mask whose head is shaking violently, like super quickly. No. And as you can imagine, he's so startled, his glasses fly off, which they would if you were to see that. Yes, of and course. And he fumbles for them. He looks up to see Jesse dancing with a figure. And they're dancing so hard, it looks like they're fucking, right? Mm-hmm. And she's like groaning. She's covered in sweat. And she's bent over the waist. And we see a tentacle, like the one we saw on the subway, wrap around her leg. What's it coming out of? A, a, an unclear figure, it looks like a humanoid creature who, mm. that appears to be fucking Jesse from behind. But in reality, I think we're to th- assume it's just a man dancing and they are just super drunk. And but he's... in this, yes, in this moment, he is seeing this and we see the tentacles sort of wrap around her leg and then sort of lash her ass and draw blood as she like hikes her skirt up. Mm. And we cut to this figure behind her like this, again, uh, inhuman, monstrous, octopus, no. wet, uh, aquatic type of horror. And suddenly, Allison, a huge white translucent fang stabs through the back of Jesse's head, Jesse's head and through her mouth. So it looks like this gigantic horn almost just like shooting out of her mouth. Ugh. And so I'm actually going to ask you again because uh-huh. I think this is another, a turning point in, in Jake's uh, experience. Allison, if you saw that, what would you do? What would you do? I mean, I'm leaving the party. That's for sure. Yeah, great party hell until that tentacle guy showed up. Yeah, once there's tentacles and fangs poking through skulls, like, it, it's just kind of when it's lights out for me. Um, yeah. And again, I think I'm taking myself to, but like the hospital, like, I don't feel like he's like found, I don't know where you go. But I think I would go find people that I trust and be like, this is what I'm seeing. Yeah. Save me. <laughs> and I think, unfortunately, when he does try to do that every time, because, you know, I think we are sort of evoking the experience of a yes. soldier who does have PTSD. Every time he does seek out help, everyone reacts like everything he's asking for is completely absurd. And then it makes him question his own experience even more so. And then it makes him less likely to tell people. Right. And I think, like, sort of, like, this, the the jutting fang, like, it's sort of evoking the, like, being penetrated by the bayonet. Like, there is a lot of penetration uh, yeah. in it. 
uh, in this film. And I think to me, when I saw that, it's like something something alien entering your body, in this case, through, through her, out of her mouth. As you can imagine, in reaction to this, Jake collapses screaming. Yeah, of course. And it's actually more likely what I would do. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I'm, yeah. I'm not, I'm not doing gonna be like, anything. Excuse me, lovely affair. Um, I'm gonna have to hit the road. Like, I would just be like uh, a puddle of like throw up and tears. Right. And that's how you know it's a good party. True. Of course, as soon as everyone runs over, they are all everyone looks totally normal. Like everything's fine. He flashes back to Vietnam and hears a medic saying his guts are hanging out. We gotta stuff them back in. Oh, referring to Jake himself. <laughs> Back at home, Jesse is yelling at Jake for flipping out of the party, but slowly realizes that he's actually sick. Like, he is sick, sick. And when she takes his temperature, it's 106. Ooh. She panics, and she calls the doctor in a panic, and he says, you have to put him in a bath of ice. That's so high, he could get brain damage on the way to the hospital, or he could die. Well, like, that is so high, the human yeah. body cannot be at that temperature. She freaks out, fills the bathtub, and then again in a beautiful New York moment, runs down the hall pounding on all the neighbors to get ice from them. So they oh, all wow. run in in this really positive way. Like in this very 70s, like, oh yeah, you can have my ice. And they all run in and they help her get Jake in the tub. But it's also horrific. Like he's screaming. He's not right. really understanding what's going on. They of plunge course. him yeah. in. He's screaming, you're killing me. And they keep dumping ice on him. Oh my God. Allison, he wakes up in bed with his ex-wife, Sarah. Okay. And he tells her, I had this horrible dream that I was living with Jezebel from the post office. You remember you met her at the Christmas party and there were all these demons around me and I was burning from ice. Oh, God. And she wakes up, she's like, yeah, that's insane. I'm very sorry. Um, Also, you're dreaming of another woman? Mm -hmm. Suddenly, the door opens and in walks Gabe, his deceased son. Oh, no. So and this Jake, isn't real. Yeah. Or, well, well, you're, you called Gabe's it. Not. He, well, I mean, yeah. Uh, he takes, Jake takes him back to bed and he sings Jake a lullaby and it's very sweet. It's very sad. And all the boys are sleeping in the same room and Jet and, Jed and Eli are in bunk beds. So, of course, Jed wakes up and says, Dad, you forgot my allowance. And then Eli's up and he's telling him, everyone go back to sleep. I, I would just, you know, bring Gabe back in. And when he goes to leave, Gabe says, don't go. And Jake says, I'm, I'm right here. And he leaves the door open. And we see Jacob gets back into bed. But, of course, even he, in this dream, starts to look perturbed. Like, he he knows this isn't real. And we see the underside of leaves in Vietnam as he's carried by the medics to be evacuated. Mm. Suddenly, he opens his eyes in the bathtub. The doctor is standing over him. And the ice bathtub. He has just survived. So he has survived. They've gotten his temperature down. The doctor's okay. arrived. And he's Okay. And the doctor says, you must have friends in high places. And Jesse's like in tears, so relieved that he has survived. Um, Cut back to Vietnam. We see Jake being airlifted out of the jungle by helicopter. So he's made it to the medic helicopter and he's being airlifted out. In the morning, he wakes up in bed with Jesse standing over him. And, you know, we hear kids playing at some school down the block, which again is a very beautiful New York memory Mm -hmm. of no matter how, where you are, you're constantly hearing a a school. Yeah, it's so funny. And he says, am I home? She said, yeah, you're lucky your brain didn't boil. And you kept saying in your night, like you kept saying, Sarah, close the window. And you're talking about your kids. And he says, am I dead? Oh, no. 
No, you're right here. Unfortunately, Allison, things start to really devolve over the next couple of weeks, right? Oh, I kind of don't know what's happening anymore, so. <laughs> yeah, and I think, unfortunately, Jake doesn't. So what Jake does as a, as a philosophy, you know, mm-hmm. as a PhD, starts to research demons, right? Sure. So he's reading Dante's Inferno. He's reading the Bible. He's trying to figure out, like, what what is this experience I'm having? Why am I cutting between time? What? Why am I seeing all these creatures, these horrifying creatures? Mm-hmm. Jesse, again— um, flips out at him and screams at him when he won't, you know, she, he won't respond to her. Is anyone there? And when he looks up, her eyes are jet black and he shoves her away. But of course, as soon as he, he pushes her, she's normal again. And she says, I can't fucking do this anymore and storms out. Just then, Allison, Jake gets a call from Paul, who, if you remember, was one of the soldiers that yeah. he knew from the war. And he said, I really need to talk to you. I'm really going through something. They go to a bar and Paul breaks down and says, I, I, I'm going to hell. I, I saw demons coming out of the wall. And Jake says, I'm having the exact same fucking experience. Okay. And Paul is, to, I, I think it's like Paul's so something. Paul's horrified because Paul wanted him to, like he wanted it to just be his problem. Right, where it's like, oh, okay. I, yeah, okay, yeah, I see. Yeah, so he's like, I thought I was the only one and he shows Jake that he always carries a Bible and a religious medallion. He's like, it's not helping. And we oh, cut back no. to Vietnam and we see Paul and Paul's just staring into the middle distance while mayhem happens around him. And he asks, what happened that day? And why won't anyone tell us? So the day that we're seeing, they don't have a memory of. And that's kind of the day that we started with, like where it's like yes. all of a sudden the vehicle. Okay. So yeah, like so that we see like the beginning of that. Yeah, they, they know up until, and then all of a sudden they don't know exactly. what happened. Yeah, no. we know as much as them. They okay. don't have like what what we actually got into a fight with 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 Vietnamese troops. Like what like what actually yeah. happened? No one has retained it. Which again, big red flag. If nobody Huge. has this memory, you know. Um, however, he, he they walk out to Paul's car and they're talking, and Jake looks down to pick up a quarter, and he says, "Ah, oh, must be my lucky day, Allison." He reaches down to get the quarter, and the coin is jerked out of his grasp. And when he looks up, Paul smiles at him, turns the key in his ignition, and the car explodes. Cut to Vietnam, where Jake's medical helicopter is under attack. And we see the pilot get shot in the head from the ground. And then it starts to go down. So it's just total chaos. Their, their, their helicopter is crashing. Mm. Back in current day, 1975, a man we don't know runs over to help Jake, you know, as he flies back from the explosion. And when mm. Jake sort of writes himself to thank him, flees the scene as quickly as he came. So sort of like a... Um, and someone we've never seen before. No. Okay, great. Love um, a new character. And sort of like he's uh, some sort of... Uh, again, perhaps an, an angel and a protector, a figure... Um, so everyone, uh, he goes to Paul's funeral and while he's there, he sees everyone else from Vietnam. So we see Doug, Jerry, Frank, George, and Rod. And they start to argue like, was this an intentional bomb? Like, and, and they are all talking about as it relates to Vietnam, you know, cause they knew that Paul was having these experiences. They, you know, may or may not have had some experiences. Jake says, Paul to- told me they saw demons and George drops his beer and says, what do they look like? Obviously, it seems it's like the most same, of them yeah. have had the same experience. Tentacles, Rod's, fangs, you know, the usual. 
line. Yeah. Oh, you know what I mean? You know, you know that stuff you all see and you don't tell anyone because yeah. you're not supposed to. Yeah. No one has a face anymore. That kind of thing. So they all go up to the roof and uh, Jake tells them Dr. Carlson is dead. They all knew Dr. Carlson because they were also in the veterans outpatient program. Oh, so they were all saying, okay. Yeah. Yes. So they're like, does, do you think it has to do with that night that none of us could fucking remember? It seems like that seems, again, like connected, like that's a bad sign. Mm-hmm. Jake says, I want to get an answer from the army. Rod is the one like, you guys are crazy. You think the army is going to fucking tell you anything? And he's like, we probably just smoke some bad grass. And then like, that's it, you know? No, also not that though. <laughs> like, I know, like how bad could it be, my friend? Uh, but all of them go to see George Costanza, JK, but it is Jason Alexander, and he plays a lawyer named Geary. And he says, I want you to look into this. And he says he'll do it because, frankly, there have been some lawsuits against the military. And he's like, if we're able to prove that they gave you something, if, they're, if they did something to you yeah. experimentally, you can make a lot of fucking money. So I will absolutely take on your case. Yes. Um, someone in a car watches them leave the lawyer's office. So we now see that they are actually being monitored by some other person. Oh, boy. Unfortunately, a day or so later, Jesse tells Jake, your lawyer just called while you're in the shower. He's not going to take the case. He says that you don't have one. Also, he said that your friend's backed out. Jake calls Frank, um, Frank, one of the other soldiers, Frank, and Frank's like, you know, honest to God, like, there's really nothing we could do about it. Like, there's really no point. I'm sure it was just, like, the stress of war, trying to make excuses. And Jake says, who got to you? Literally two days ago, you were all fired out about with me. Why is this change of tune? A 180 on something so big. Like, it, it is shocking. And Frank says, no one got to me, and none of us are interested. Again, you're all not interested suddenly. Right. So Jake goes to see the lawyer, and the lawyer blows him off too and says, I checked on you. You weren't even in Vietnam. And you and all your friends who came, you were discharged for psychological problems before you even got to Vietnam. You did some war games in Thailand. You were never in the Mekong Delta. You're just making stuff up. Frank said this to Sorry. Jake. The lawyer tells Jake that. Basically, I oh. checked on you. You weren't even you weren't in Vietnam. You you had psychological problems. You were actually discharged before you even got there. Which Jake doesn't believe. Or I guess he does sort of believe it, but it becomes less believable as soon as he gets out of the well, courthouse. Also, like, the other guys were all like they know each other. They've been like well, so basically, okay. I had lawyers trying to argue that they all had psychological problems and are okay, sort of like of having like a mass delusion or sort of talking to each other and saying we were in Vietnam. Mm-hmm. And he's attributing it all to pre-existing psychological problems, which does seem like what the army does. Like it's sort of like, oh, that's a problem before you got here. It's not that horrible shit that happened to you that we are ostensibly responsible for supporting you through. Right. So it would be believable. And Jake does have a moment of like, oh, is is this true? But then he's immediately grabbed by two guys when he walks out of the courtyard and they throw him in a car. And these two guys Not who great. are like, they seem like mafia guys, like they're mafiosos. They some, you know, you're scaring a lot of people talking about your arm, the army stuff. You are in over your head. And when you're in over your head, just so you know, men have drowned that way. So maybe you need to shut okay. the fuck up about what you think happened. Fortunately, okay. he's able to open the door and dive out of the car and then sort of rolls and hits the curb. And because it's around the holidays, a Santa Claus comes over, you know, that's sure. ringing the bell. And he goes, oh, you poor, poor man. And then he reaches down and he steals Jake's wallet and just walks away. <laughs> Santa. We see him taken to the hospital and he's taken to see a Dr. Stewart. And because he's like, I can't explain all this, um, I slipped and hit my head on the curb. And my back is all fucked up. 
The only problem is everything he says now sounds like he is mentally ill. You know, he's begging for a chiropractor. He's saying Santa Claus stole his wallet. You know, like he, they're like, okay, sir. I don't know what that's all about, but no. (laughs) Allison, unfortunately, as they take him into the hospital, they start to take him down flight by flight. And he looks and he turns, and in one of his rooms, he sees a crumpled up children's bicycle. And he gasps. He says, Gabe? They take him down into what is supposed to be like, again, like the like mental ward. Yeah. And we take him past all these people. Like one guy hits his head against the window until it bleeds. There is a cage over the hallway where other patients who are amputees are crawling on the cage. They take him down further until there's just a hallway full of bloody organs and body parts. It's like, again, he's being taken down into hell. Circles of hell, yeah. We see another jerky-headed masked man. Mm -mm. Finally, they take him into the OR and they strap him down. Mm -mm. And he looks and sees that one of the nurses is Jesse. And he says, please, I'm asking you to please, I need to go home. And the doctor tells him, you are home. You're dead. What? He says, what? And they tell him, you've been killed, don't you remember? And then they insert a needle into his forehead. Oh, We cut back to Vietnam, and we see again the underside of the leaves as Jake hears the medics say, we're losing him. Jake wakes up again in 1975. He's in his hospital bed. He has survived whatever surgery he had. And Sarah has brought Jed and Eli to come see their father in the hospital. And he says, I'm not dead, Sarah. I'm alive. And she says, of course you're alive. We're we're here with you, you know? Scary. And And Sarah tells him, Jacob, I still love you, whatever it's worth. And he hears this voice in his ear say, dream on. Fortunately, Lewis, the chiropractor, who is sort of his only beacon, you know, his only beacon of hope shows up. His marriage counselor also. <laughs> yeah. Shows up and demands to see Jake. And Jake calls him. Lewis runs in. The nurses and orderlies rush in after him. And Lewis threatens them all with a crutch before getting Jake up and getting him out of the hospital. At his office, he does some more chiropractoring on Jake who tells him, I was in hell, Lewis, and I don't want to die. And Lewis quotes a 14th century Christian mystic, Meister Eckhart, who said, basically that he saw hell too, and he says, the only thing that burns in hell is the part of you that won't let go of life. Your memories, your attachments, they burn them all away, but they're not punishing you, they're freeing your soul. So if you're afraid of dying and you're holding on, you see devils tearing your life away. But if you've made your peace then the devils are really angels freeing you from the earth. Allison, I got to ask you at this point, who will survive? Who will survive? All right, who's who's in play here? All right, we got Jake. No. Okay, we've got Jesse. Yes. We've got Sarah and the boys. I think Sarah and the boys are already dead. Okay. And we've got Lewis, the chiropractor. I hope he dies. Yeah. <laughs> Just because he's a chiropractor. Just chiro- yeah, practicing chiropractory is not good. And then the mysterious man who helped him during the car explosion. I think he will survive. Okay, great. Who doesn't love a classic chocolate chip cookie? Famous Amos has been making them since the 70s. 1975, to be exact. With semi-sweet chocolate chips... And a satisfying crunch. It's everything classic in one bite-sized cookie. And fans couldn't get enough. That's right. You'll find our original recipe, the one you know and love, 
in every bag of Famous Amos original chocolate chip cookies. Find Famous Amos anywhere you buy your favorite snacks. Chapter 1. Wayfair welcomes you to the neighborhood. Our hero, Titus Burgess, ambled down the stylish street of an enchanting utopia. A woman waved from a chic lounger. Welcome to the neighborhood, she said, where Wayfair helps everyone create a home they love. Titus stared in awe. Bohemian Boulevard, Trendsetter Terrace, Mid-Century Circle. Titus. Hmm? You're reading the Wayfair catalog. Oh, you'll love Chapter 2. Wayfair's fast and free shipping saves a potluck. Wayfair, every style, every home. Lewis sort of levers Jake up, and after his adjustment, Lewis steps forward. He's able to stand. And there is sort of like this Lazarus moment. Like, he was so badly injured, he just had surgery, and now he's totally fine. Mm -hmm. At home, we realize that Jake has pet mice. And I love that we didn't see a shot of the mouse take until then. And they're just like so like cute Stop and humanizing. Stop getting inspiration. <laughs> I want them so bad. I just don't know where I would put them in my apartment. I guess they'd be in yeah. my living room. Well, that was like, I mean, getting Riz, the hard part was like, where does where does his stuff go? Where does his shit live? Where does his little well, box of shit go? Well, it lives in the bathroom go? where my shit lives. So exactly. that's Exactly. Kind of... like, your shit could be together. I think that's yeah. nice. So back home, Jake opens up. He has a box of important documents. He's got his honorable discharge papers. He's got photos of the guys and him in Vietnam. Yeah. And How finally, else would you get that? Right, exactly. He's like, happen. I know it was happening. Yeah. He finds a letter written by Gabe. And of course, it's so cute and adorable and, and sad. And we see a flashback of him walking with Gabe down the sidewalk. And then Allison, we see Gabe with his little bike. And we see Gabe taking his little bike into the street and he hits, he drops his little baseball cards. And then we see a car slamming into the bike. Mm. And we know that that is how Gabe died. Yeah. And Gabe looks in the mirror and in the reflection behind him, he can see Gabe running down the hallway. But when he reaches out to touch the glass, we see the, the, the man whose head is shaking incredibly fast. Mm-hmm. And, and Jake sort of rears back in horror and then we also see the man who ran to him after uh, the explosion. Meanwhile, Jesse comes home and is like, where the fuck have you been? You have been gone for two days. And he tells her, I was at the hospital. And she says, which one? I called every hospital. I, you weren't in a hospital. I would have found you. Aye. The phone rings. And now Jake is, of course, incredibly fucking paranoid. He says, do not tell them I'm here. And she picks up and says, oh, Jake's not here. Um, can I take a message? The man on the other line says, I was in Vietnam. I was I worked for the government and we did I worked in the chemical warfare department. I want you to meet me and I'll tell you more. Oh my god. Jesse kind of reasonably was like, we don't fucking know this guy. I don't think you should go meet him. I would go. I'd be like, I need answers. This is untenable. And Jake says, I have to. He hugs her and he goes. He meets him, and the man, it's it is the man who saved him from the car explosion. Okay. It is Michael Newman, of course, Michael the Archangel. Mm. And he says, I'm sorry, I've been monitoring you, but I felt like I had to, like, step in and tell you. And he, this is what he explains. Basically, the army was worried that American men were too soft. So this is really all about toxic masculinity. Isn't everything. Also, also too soft to murder, basically. I mean, like, too too soft to be a part of the horrific project of war. So they invented a drug that they called the ladder. And the idea is that, that you'd be dosed with it, and then it would increase your aggressiveness, and you'd go into a berserker state, I guess. And you'd be able to fight and kill. But unfortunately, it sort of drives the human brain down into a state of primal rage and fear. Cool. I just don't think we should be coming up with these drugs. I'll tell you right now, Michael. It is not 
It is not worth Best case scenario, you create an effective killing machine. Yes. Yeah. Like, and that's the and then, ideal here. Yeah. And Michael says that they experimented on Vietnamese prisoners of war who were like young men, young soldiers, like Americans drafted, like 18 year olds. Yeah. Fed them extreme doses. And he says, I I never imagined people could do what they did to each other. Well, you should have. So then they, he then said, then we then we went ahead and we put the army decided to put a tiny dose in soldiers' foods of one unit. Ugh. And unfortunately, it was fucking Jake's unit. And Jake says, Oh my God. Like that's why no one can remember what happened the night. Because we were attacked, and then I guess we all sort of went to a fugue state. And Michael says, well, there was a fight, but there was, it wasn't with the, like the Viet Cong. You all killed each other. You tore each other to pieces. Oh. You turned on each other. That's what happened. Because if you create a um, killing machine, you can't control a killing machine. Right. You can't be like, and now only kill these people. It's like, no, we're, they're just killing machines. They're aggression. Yeah. Jake leaps into a cab after this to head home. And he gives the cabbie all the money he has. And he says, can you take me home? And then we see he's, he's as during this cab ride back in Vietnam. And we finally see who stabbed Jake with the bayonet, which is another one of the men in the unit. Not one that we knew, but clearly another American another soldier. Another American soldier, yeah. Yeah. Finally, he arrives at his real home, Sarah's apartment. And it is funny because it is, it, like, there's a doorman. It is gorgeous. The implication being, like, this is what you can afford at a philosophy professor's salary? I just don't think so. Maybe no. I'm wrong. And the doorman says, Dr. Singer, I haven't seen you in so long. Jake walks in, but his family isn't there. We just see their half-eaten pie and their half-finished homework. And we hear Lewis talking again about, if you're holding on to life, then you see devils because you are holding on to something that you should let go. If you're ready to go, you will see angels. Mm -hmm. And again, we see flashbacks from Jake's life when he was a child, then with walking with Gabe, Sarah, and the children. And he hears a toy box and he turns and he sees Gabe sitting at the bottom of the stairs. And Gabe hugs him and says, it's okay. And together they walk up the stairs, the Jacob's Ladder, ostensibly to heaven. And we cut to finally, in the medical tent in Vietnam, we see the medicals call time. And they say, It's gone. He looks kind of peaceful, the guy. What a hell of a fight, though. So, Allison, Jake was... Dead the whole time. Yeah. This was all his dying fantasy. Okay. So this was all what he was imagining, like, in those kind of flashes of consciousness. Exactly. As he was, like, dying. Dying. And then we end on a uh, text in a horror movie, which, if you listen to the podcast, you know I fucking love text in a horror movie. Allie loves text. <laughs> I don't know why. I don't know if it's just, like, the authority, the there gravitas. I don't know. There is something very, like— special and important about it. Yeah, it's like, you tell me exactly what I'm supposed to fucking take from this. And finally, the last shot is, um, it was reported that the hallucinogenic drug, BZ, was used in experiments on soldiers during the Vietnam War. The Pentagon denied the story. Well, Allison, I wanted to add a little addendum to that because this came out in 1990. (sighs) Wouldn't you know it, they did. Oh, wow, I wonder, what a surprise. So, um, and I was thinking maybe we could make a link tree because, like, this is just stuff that I was able to Google. I'm obviously not a professional researcher, but this information is out there. Um, This is an article on CNN from 2012 called Vets Feel Abandoned After Secret Drug Experiments. 
Um, and it is about <sighs> a, uh, unfortunately, that's the thing about the draft. It's not simply that you're being forced to go to war. It's that you then have the military, uh, and this ran from uh, 1955 to 1975, um, is allowed to basically give you whatever and you have to yeah. take it. Yeah. So this I mean, you happened. are a prisoner of the U.S. military if you are drafted into conscript. Like, that is, yeah. you are, they are in control of everything you do. So this particular event or this particular um, experiment that was performed on American soldiers happened at a place called Edgewood Arsenal. And uh, this, again, ha- ran for 20 years. And military researchers uh, subjected human subjects to basically all sorts of stuff. So they were exposed this to nerve gases. in the United States. In the United States. Ford, so, okay. No. Not so that it makes it in the United States. But- and if you want to read more about it, and again, we will link it, uh, there is a uh, publicly available website on the U.S. Department of Veterans Affairs website called the Edgewood Aberdeen Experiments. Mm. And it, it admits and says the U.S. Army Chemical Corps conducted classified medical studies at the at Ed, Edgewood Arsenal, Maryland, and basically dosed American uh, soldiers, about 7,000 soldiers, were given 250 different chemicals, and this is all according to the Department of Defense, mm-hmm. and included in those chemicals, um, in addition to nerve agents, mustard agents, um, regular caffeine and alcohol, psychoactive agents, including LSD, PCP, cannabinoids, and BZ. Mm-hmm. So um, if you actually want to read the declassified documents, they are in the CNN article I mentioned, which again is called Vets Feel Abandoned After Secret Drug Experiments. You can read the declassified documents. And the reason this all came, and that are specifically about BZ and how that they were tested on soldiers. And uh, that's only sort of the beginning of it. They were also, test- LSD was tested on them, of course. And the VA uh page exists basically like if you think that you could be get benefits from these experiments let us know um and then this is an article from the army times and this is from 2017 basically there are vietnam veterans as part of the veterans advocacy group vietnam veterans of america brought a class action fucking lawsuit against the army and forced them to have to provide care from for these vietnam vets who were exposed to these chemical and biological agents so the government had to admit that they were exposed. Yeah. And apparently this kind of testing, according to the loss, like what the army admitted after the lawsuit was, happened between 1942 to 1975, right? And so all through the end of World War II through the end of the Vietnam War. Yeah, and so this uh, actually is related. There's a 2009 lawsuit uh, uh, filed by the veter- the Vietnam Veterans of America um, g- uh, group. So yeah. this is something they did. And it's just one of those things where— um, uh, in 2015, the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals said the Army, and it's not in the VA, the Army itself has to provide veterans with medical care related to the testing. And that's what's fucked up is that, like, not only, you know, did the Pentagon at the time, as the as the end note does say, the Pentagon denied doing this, all of these soldiers then had to fight for decades to even get covered because they were trying to deny that you can't possibly be sick, Right. And I, I again, these are this is our month of political. Every horror movie is political, but this yes, boy, this, but this is a political is very, one. very head yeah. on. And I think for me, this is a good example of like I don't, we don't know much about the Vietnam War. No, like, we are too young. We're <laughs> but, too, yeah, we're too young. We could possibly know, but uh, <laughs> this is a great example of like how horror horror is a language that we use to talk about horrifying things. Totally. And there's fucking not much more horrifying than the idea that not only are you being forced to go to war, but the government 
and the military are experimenting on you while you're doing it. And unfortunately, that is part of the legacy of America yeah. is that, and that you may or may not even yes. be aware it's happening. And, and like, then have to fight the people who did this to you to pay for your medical care is right. so horrifying. But again, it felt like if we're doing this movie, we yeah. had to provide some sort of information. 100%. And again, this is just what's publicly like what I could Google and look for myself. Obviously, there are people who know much more about it. Unfortunately, this, I don't think either surprises either of us to no. find out about. It's tragic, but it's not surprising at all. And again, these are the documents are declassified. So if you want to learn more about it, we'll we'll post some um links and this relates to the specifically to the Edgewood Chemical Biological Center, mm-hmm. but I'm sure there are other examples there um, must that you be. could also find. Yeah, there must be. Um all right, so I'm so sorry to tell all you guys that because but now we know. And know. um so for us all to think about and sit with. Allison, speaking of the movie itself, could you tell me some fatal mistakes that you think that anyone may have made in the movie Jacob's Ladder? Fatal mistakes. I mean, boy, there's there's kind of only the illusion of of free will and control in this movie. So mm-hmm. there, I would say, you know, the U.S. government, um, you know, getting involved in Vietnam, instituting the draft, and then using uh, the conscripted soldiers to test chemicals that make them uh, so violent they kill each other. I would say those are all pretty fatal mistakes. Yeah, but yeah. When we're talking more about, like, the plot of the movie and who was making them, I would say the chiropractor did not need to be sharing what Sarah felt about her ex-husband. Wow, that's a really, I hadn't thought about that in particular, but, I, you know, and it's like, it is hard. It's really not his business. I know you're a chiropractor. You're basically someone's priest slash father. I'm sure you feel like, <laughs> oh, I'll just get these kids back together. But I do, that does seem like a wild overstep of um, ethical boundaries. If any of my doctors even knew who my exes or spe- like there yeah. is just, like don't tell me what they're up to like i can't it's su- it's such an overstep also like i'm sure she does like even if you guys both decided this was the best idea like i'm sure she does love him so that's not even like oh she loves you like you should get back together yeah. like there's always going to be love there he's the father <laughs> of her children but it doesn't it's mean wild. she wants the chiropractor to intervene to get them back together that is that i would watch that rom-com where Danny Aiello is a chiropractor who tries to get a couple back together. I would I would watch that. Yeah. A pop at love or something terrible. Um, um yeah. So I would I would say that that outrageous uh breach of trust would be a yeah, big no, one. You're actually right. Everything other than that, like Jake really did was trying his best. Like he again, was talking to the right people. He was going like he was like taking things seriously and communicating with people what was going on. He found like in the the world of the movie, he did everything he could. A hundred percent. Yeah, and and other than that, again, he didn't know he was caught in a dream of dying in between life and death. So at a certain point, if you don't have that information, what can you do? That being said, I think that I have an existential problem with the end of this movie because the screenwriter very specifically is like, this is about like moving from this, like life into death. And I'm like, actually, and like, I I just maybe took issue with the fact that like, well, I guess it kind of worked out at the end because he got to be with his son. It's like, yeah, he had to be tortured, like, for an eternity in between stages because he was dosed with a psychiatric, psychoactive drug and then murdered, yeah. like, killed in Vietnam. Like, I, oh. there is no way to spin this and not make it a tragedy. Yeah, it is only a tra- It is, like, I don't care how, like, happy the reunion is. It's still yeah. beyond tragic. Yeah, so, um, I don't know. Maybe that's where I, I, that's just where I'm at with things, um... But yeah, uh, and then where would you put this movie on the spooky scale, Allison? 
A spooky scale. I think this is a solid eight for me. I think the between like the connection to even separate from like the research and the papers that have been uncovered that prove that this kind of psychological experiments were happening within the US military. Just like knowing that the Vietnam War was real, that there was like that the, all of those things, like the PTSD from it is real, like all of those things, like the reality of it is so scary because it is so tied to actual reality that we both know and many have experienced. Um, but then also just like, again, the instability of like, of feeling like your reality isn't real is so terrifying because what do you, there's nothing to grasp onto. Yeah. There's no constants. Like he's flipping between all these different like stages, which are all just kind of like an ascent to death, I guess. But like, if you don't know what's real and who you can trust and things keep changing in front of your eyes, like there's just something so upsetting about all of that. And then also just like the visuals of, of pretty much everything that I, I saw. Yeah. I <laughs> In the trailer. Yeah. Um, I agree. You know, I, I think I'm really battling with, I don't find anything scary. I was really upset watching this mm-hmm. and I was really distraught, but I was not scared. So I feel like even the elements that I think are genuinely fucking terrifying in this movie, I don't know. I think I, I unfortunately start, feel like I'm entering a, a new level of like, I'm going to need someone to fucking scare me. And to be fair, this is more of a drama. Like this is exploring a lot totally. of like big fucking themes and historical events. So this is not necessarily designed to like, you know, Be drive you up. Purely yeah. scary. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm going to say five. I, I think okay. I agree. Like the elements are really fucking scary. The acting is great. It's beautifully shot. The, the, Body horror stuff is really scary. But I think maybe I was just so mad about the Vietnam War and yeah. I don't know, just reading this stuff that it just, I was more enraged rather than afraid, if yeah. that makes sense. I think that that makes sense. Um, and that's good. It's good to be enraged. Um, a lot of the time, I think it's it's, it's very helpful. Enraged. And yes. um, yeah, uh, thank you so much for listening, everybody. We really appreciate it. And yes. um, we'll be back, be back next week. In the meantime- Another political horror. Yeah. Um, to ruin for everybody. But yeah, until mm-hmm. then, um, I guess we just got to ask, if you wouldn't mind, please, please keep, keep it spooky. spooky. Ruin is a Radio Point and Crooked Media production. We're your writers and hosts, Hallie Kiefer and Allison Leiby. The show is executive produced by Alex Bach, Sabrina Fonfetter, and Houston Snyder, and recorded and edited by Kat Iosa. From Crooked Media, our executive producer is Kendra James, with production and promotional support from Ari Schwartz, Kyle Sieglin, Julia Beach, Caroline Dunphy, and Awa Okalati. Follow at Ruin Podcast on Instagram and Twitter for show updates and at The Radio Point and at Crooked Media for more original content. Chapter One, Wayfair welcomes you to the neighborhood. Our hero, Titus Burgess, ambled down the stylish street of an enchanting utopia. A woman waved from a chic lounger. Welcome to the Waverhood, she said, where Wafer helps everyone create a home they love. Titus stared in awe. Bohemian Boulevard, Trendsetter Terrace, Mid-Century Circle. Titus, hmm? you're reading the Wayfair catalog. Oh, you'll love Chapter 2. Wayfair's fast and free shipping saves a potluck. Wayfair, every style, every home.